It's about God's glory and power on display, His creativity and His majesty, um, which gives us a wonderful but an incomplete picture of who God is. We can't know just from the picture of creation all of who God is or all of what He's promised to us or what He requires of us. Some things can be known some things can't be known solely from creation. So a much fuller, a much more specific revealing was required, and so God gave us his word. Uh, and so that's the second half of the psalm. And so to go along with our, our series, we have been finding God in the middle of all sorts of things. And in Psalm 19, we've been finding him in the middle of his world and his word. And so finishing up this morning finishing up this psalm with a very logical conclusion. When you find God in the middle of his world and his word, when you begin to see very clearly who he is, we also begin to see who we are. In the bright light of, of who he is, we can see ourselves oh so clearly. And part of seeing ourselves clearly is certainly seeing and understanding our sin and our sinfulness. And in light of who God is, that's a big problem. Uh, and so I want to read psalm, the psalm one last time, and then we'll dig in together. So please stand, if you're able, for Psalm 19, the very words of God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the Lord bless the reading, uh, the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you come this morning in power through your Holy Spirit? Would you show us Christ in these verses would you indeed show us our sin would you show us our sinfulness 
would you show us the wonderful and glorious balm of the gospel that is ours as soon as we feel our need of him the only fitness we require would you give us that sense of need and oh god would you reveal the glory of the gospel even from these verses we pray this morning in christ's name and for his sake amen please be seated so once we find god in the middle of his world, in the middle of his word, and we see our sinfulness, it's a big problem. And so as we dig in this morning, I want us to see three things about that problem. Number one, our problem is bigger than we imagined it to be. Our problem goes deeper than we can see, but gloriously, the help that is available to us to address our problem is far greater than we deserve. So let's start number one. Our problem's bigger. It, it, is, it is wider. It is broader than we really even understand. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? I almost sense the psalmist throwing his hands up here, right? He's been declaring how wonderful God's word is, how, how righteous and true and pure and clear it is, how much he desires it, more than gold, more than honey. And then as if to knee-jerk reaction, he throws his hands up. Who can even know how sinful he is? Who can discern his errors? And, and that's an interesting question. Some of you here this morning might even hear that question. Who can discern his errors? And think in the back of your mind, well, I can. I, I know when I've done wrong. I know when I've messed up. And sure, oftentimes we, we are aware when we've done wrong. But the psalmist isn't using a, a simple verb here for, for know or for recognition of knowing when we've done something wrong. He says discern, which has to do with our understanding, right? We might know when we've sinned, but do we really understand why? Do we understand all the implications and, and ramifications that our sin has? Do you perceive the full extent of, of your sin, it, its motivations? I think the psalmist is, is struggling here under the weight of a really important truth that our problem is not that we commit sins, right, as, as discreet isolated individual events. Yeah, there's this one thing that I did over here, and gosh, I did another thing over here. These things that I happen to do wrong. See, our problem is not that we have sins, as in what we do. Our problem is that we are sinners, as in who we are. In, in a word, it's our sinfulness. We, we are beings who have been deeply and completely affected by the fall. Every aspect of our being is bent and broken. Our, our intellect, our will, our emotions, our affections, they've all been perverted and damaged by the fall. Everything that we think 
or say or feel or do has the taint of sin somewhere in it or associated with it. Jerry Bridges, I think this is from The Pursuit of Holiness, um, and it's just stuck in my mind ever since I've read it and heard somebody else quote it. Even our tears of repentance, right? What could be more more pure than that? Sorrow over sin. (laughs) Even those need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. We just can't know the full extent. We, we, we couldn't count them, even if we were trying to, all the individual sins. We couldn't count them. We don't even know all the ways. That's true, especially in light of the second half of verse 12. Declare me, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Now, what does that mean? You mean to tell me that I can sin and not even be aware of it? crud yes who can discern it who can know you know I think there are there are two ways that our sins can be hidden one is that God hides sins from us and then we hide sins from ourselves that that first thing is an act of God's grace you know Sometimes God keeps us from seeing what would crush us. Keeps us from seeing what we can't bear to see. If we actually saw in one fell swoop the vast, the sum total of all of our sins, it would crush us. We couldn't bear it. Think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Right? And, and, the, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Right? And it shook and it filled with smoke. And he said, oh no. Woe is me. I am undone. I am lost. I'm a goner. In, in the white, hot light of God's presence, he could see himself and his sinfulness with far more clarity than he'd ever seen before, and he felt like he was toast. Sometimes God hides our sins from us and reveals them to us a little at a time as we can bear to see them. He shields our eyes from them until the point that we're resting in the gospel deeply enough. Sensing our security in Jesus strong enough that we realize he won't cast us out. He won't zap us in his anger and his wrath because he's already poured his wrath out on Christ. When we're resting sufficiently enough in that, then he's ready to peel back another layer and say, "Mm, guess what? Here's something else that we can then grieve over and mourn and take to the cross and thank Christ afresh. You paid for this. You did it. It's covered. 
I don't have to feel condemned because of this, but I can bring it to you and I can grieve over it and I can mourn it and and I can ask for your help not to do it again. So that's the first way that I think our sins can be hidden. Very graciously by the Lord until we're ready and able to see them. So that's good. That's a good kind of your sins being hidden. That's grace. But the second way, there are also sins that we don't know about that are hidden from us by our own doing. Sometimes we hide them. One of the, one of the commentators that I was using for these psalms, one of my favorites, if you ever see Derek Kidner, buy it, right? He has an economy of words that he's just able to use with the sharpness of a scalpel to get right to the point. Here's what he said about these hidden sins. He says, a fault may be hidden, not because it is too small to see, but because it is too characteristic to register. Oh, that came at me like such a blow. It just leveled me. What in my life has become too characteristic to even show up on my radar? Our sins can be hidden to us because we've become callous to them. We think that they're minor. We think that they're insignificant. We think, well, you know what, this one tiny little thing isn't that big of a deal. And maybe it's not. Maybe giving in to that one little thing won't be a big deal, but maybe it will. Maybe giving in to that one little thing that one little time is just going to make it easier to do it the second time and the third time. And before you know it, it doesn't even register anymore. It's too too characteristic. It's become the norm. We're not even sensing anymore that we're giving in to something. It's just now hidden from us. And that, friends, is scary. Who can discern his errors? The problem of our sinfulness is bigger than we imagine, but it also goes deeper than we can see. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What are you capable of? If you were to make a list, right? here are the sins that I am capable of. What would you include on that list? More importantly, what would you exclude from that list? What would you not list on your list of things I am capable of doing? What types of sins would you literally say, I would never do that? I mean, I might do a lot of shady things, right? But I would never do that. I would never, and you fill in your own blank. Be careful there. Because if you put anything in that blank, you are not thinking clearly. Because remember, every aspect of our being 
has been affected by the fall. Even the part of our mind and heart and brain that estimates what we're capable of and incapable of. Our sinfulness problem is deeper than we can see. And it's not just of what sins that we are capable of committing. But look at the second half of 13. Right? Let them not have dominion over me. Right? They can take control in a second. And, and this goes hand in hand with them becoming hidden. Right? Eventually, and I'm thinking about this tragic and terrifying passage in Romans 1 that you can turn to later. Eventually, when we persist in our sin, He gives us over to it. When the first time became the second time, became the third time, became the new norm, became the pattern, became the habit, at some point, Scripture says, He eventually says, there you go. You belong to it now. You are, you're, you're its slave. It's got your number. It owns you. We're flirting with a dangerous and a deadly power when we give in to sin. Another way that our sinfulness problem is deeper than we can see is that it's more than just our actions. Right? But that is our, that's our default. When we hear sins, sinfulness, we're thinking externals, right? That, that's the very first place where some of us go. Verse 14, right? It's not just the externals. It's not just what we do. It's also what we say. It's also what we think. It's also what we love. Our, our affections, our hearts are involved. But, but our tendency is to be like the Pharisees of Jesus' day and to think, well, I haven't actually murdered anyone. I've not slept with someone who is not my spouse. Right? I've not robbed a bank. I've not carved an idol out of stone. I'm okay. But what about your words this week? The words that came out of your mouth this week, were there any murderous words were there any hurtful words were there any gossiping words were there any words that betrayed your faith in the lord what about your hearts have you yearned for something have you pined after something this week have you said i've just got to have this thing to make life worth living and it wasn't the lord See, we've got issues deep, deep down in the private and hidden recesses of our, of our hearts and of our minds that only God can see. Our sinfulness problem is big and it is deep. But thankfully, the help available for our problem is far greater than we deserve. See, all throughout these verses... As the psalmist reveals the nature and the extent of our problem, he's also revealing the good news of the gospel along the way. He's mentioning lots of help that's available. Now, he doesn't understand fully even what he's uh, speaking of, what he's prophesying about. He, doesn't, he can't get that fully. Christ hasn't come yet. This is David speaking. 
But he does know that he needs to be declared innocent. Look at verse 12. He knows deep down that he needs a declaration of innocence stamped across his record. Now, he had no way of knowing the exact details of how that was going to come about. But he must have had some rough idea. Being a good Jew like he was, worshiping in the tabernacle, bringing animals to the priest for sacrifices, watching the priest place his hands on the head of that animal to transfer the sins of the people onto that animal, watching the priest slit the animal's throat, watching the blood pour out. He must have had some small seed of an idea of something had to happen. If if I'm going to be declared innocent, something else has to be declared guilty in my place. There's got to be blood shed to atone for these sins. David didn't know the specifics, but I tell you what, when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching from a distance, and he said, oh, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. we can be declared innocent because of our sinless sacrificial lamb who died in our place. Look at verse 13. Greater help than we deserve. In case there's any doubt in your mind of what can be declared about us, what our status can be, we can be blameless. We can be innocent. Look also at the start of verse 13. This is big. Keep back your servant from sin. Have you ever maybe been out at the mall or some big public space and you've seen parents with a small toddling child that's got like a harness on attached to a leash? Have you seen this? Can I tell you that as a young adult, a young single and childless adult. I judged those parents. I said, that is outrageous. They're treating that child like an animal. Then I had kids of my own. And I stopped saying, that's outrageous. I said, that's brilliant. (laughs) Right? Now, for whatever reason, we never ended up with one. Right? But I would not put it past us. It's brilliant. It could potentially be life-saving, especially for some of my kids. Do you realize that your father keeps you on a leash? If he didn't, we would rush headlong into every type of evil imaginable. Restraining grace is a wonderful thing. Oh Lord, keep me from being the worst possible version of myself that I could be. 
Because my list of capable sins has them all on it were it not for His grace. So we are declared innocent rather than guilty, which our sinfulness deserves. We're kept back from being as evil as we possibly could be. And the Father finds us acceptable in His sight. Look at verse 14. This wonderful prayer, we're all so familiar with it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. See, David knows, right? Consider the context. He's praying this. He knows that they are not currently acceptable, right? Verse 12, he was just throwing up his hands. Who can discern his errors? So he's not saying here, my words are acceptable in your sight. No, he's saying, oh, please let them be. Oh, please let them be. He's requesting. And this prayer gets answered in a couple of ways. The first way, which is really kind of a secondary way, I guess, is through the Lord's transforming power. Right? He, in fact, as we walk with him, as we continue to trust him, he changes us. Right? He transforms us. And he takes our words and our thoughts and our affections. And bit by bit, He makes them progressively more and more acceptable, though never perfectly on this side of glory. But there's progress, slow progress, but progress nonetheless. But here's the second way, and and I guess this really is primary, that that our words and our thoughts and our affections truly become acceptable to him. He accepts us and our words and our thoughts and our affections as if we had always said the right thing. As if we had always felt the right thing. Thought the right thing. And He does this only because our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, actually did always think the right and feel the right thing, and say the right thing. And we have His record in our place. It's like if our our permanent record, right? The one that school always keeps on you. Oh gosh, what's in my, is that going in my permanent record? The, The permanent record on the outside still says John Mark Patrick, but its contents have been emptied and replaced with the perfect record of my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is great help indeed. For our problem that is bigger and deeper, and that kind of help can only come from a rock and a redeemer. Look how that verse ends there for verse 14. See, he doesn't look at our great, big, ugly, festering sinfulness problem and turn us away, which he could, or reject us, which he should. No, he says, I'm your rock, and you can take refuge in me. He says, I'm your redeemer, and I will buy you back. I'll pay the price myself, personally, just to have you.
And all you have to do is receive that as a gift. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. What grace. What mercy. What help for sinners who would come to you without money, with nothing in our hands but our sin. And oh, that you receive us. Oh, that you welcome us with open and loving arms, ready to change us and transform us. Ultimately, through your love and through your free acceptance of us. Lord, that's what, that's what changes us. That you could have said, get out. And instead you said, come unto me. God, how could that not melt our sinful hearts and make them want to beat for you, make them want to obey, make them want to live Lives that are worthy of the calling we've received that we're going to read tomorrow in Ephesians 4. Oh, Lord, thank you for great, wonderful, and amazing grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give us a couple of seconds and then stand and we'll sing in response.
Activities tonight. Go back home and sit in the rain or whatever is what we've been doing for all week. Uh, but do so going with God's good word, His promise to you. Now may our God, may He do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to His power at work within us. To Christ be all the glory both now and always. Amen.